0: We're pleased to have with us again uh, Paul Carey, and uh, he will come and preach the uh, preach the read the read the uh, scriptures, preach the word, and uh, conclude the service. Thank you, Paul. Good morning. It is a delight and a pleasure to be with you again this morning, and to be uh, worshiping and studying the word of God. If you would open your Bibles or follow along with the text on the screen behind me, today's scripture reading is. John chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. John 3, verses 1 to 15. Hear the word of the Lord to us this morning. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, If I have told you of earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descends from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Amen. Let's pray as we turn to think about this passage. Lord, we thank you. For your scriptures we thank you that you give them to us and that you teach us and that you speak to us we pray father that today you would be teaching you would be correcting rebuking and training us in righteousness through this text that we may be equipped to be your sons and daughters speak to us father we pray in jesus name amen so i don't know about you but growing up i loved watching the olympic games and the olympics are are they still going on i think they are Um, This year, I have unfortunately not been able to keep up with them, uh, not having uh, TV really in the house and not wanting to figure out how to find it online, but I really generally love watching these games, and I especially love watching the gymnastics, you know, the men's and women's gymnastics. The strength and balance and skill that these athletes display is just amazing, you know, especially the floor routines when the guys can, you know, hold themselves at awkward angles just on their hands. It looks like a lot of fun. and It looks like something I'd really enjoy doing. But I know, you know, I can barely do a handstand myself. And when you look at these athletes and think about what they're doing, you know that it must take years of training to get to that level. It's a lifestyle of working out and training the body to be, to be able to perform at the Olympics. You know, I try to work out a couple times a week, but even if I stopped everything else and just devoted myself to training every day, I would never be able to reach that level of an Olympic athlete. But imagine if you were able to talk to one of these athletes right after they finished their competition. Maybe you've seen some of the uh, conversations with interviewers or reporters afterwards. The first thing that these people usually say to the athletes is, you know, man, you've done something amazing. You're the best that I've seen at that. But how would you react if the athlete replied, yeah, you know, I just woke up one morning and was able to do it ask what? You know, we know that that's not how things work. You don't just wake up with supercharged muscles and the ability to do all these flips and twists. We know that to be good at something, even if you have natural skill, takes a lot of training. And it's this type of disbelief, this confusion that Nicodemus is experiencing as he talks to Jesus. His conversation follows that same sort of pattern. Nicodemus starts by stating something that he's observed about Jesus, that Jesus is a gifted teacher who has done signs, miracles that show the power of God. But before he can ask a question, Jesus comes out with a statement that sounds sort of crazy. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And I'm not sure exactly what Nicodemus was coming to Jesus to talk about, but as we read this text, we see that Jesus' statement was basically the opposite of what he had expected. Now, if you've grown up in the church, or if you're exploring religion, or just are generally aware, this phrase, born again, isn't that unfamiliar to us. You know, we use it a lot, we hear it a lot. But do we really understand, or know, how radical this statement is? This morning, we need to try to hear Jesus' words for what they are, a, a defying of expectations because this passage teaches us a core gospel truth that we need to know and remember. It teaches us that God alone must utterly transform our hearts before we can begin to grasp the wonders of his love. And that will be our main point today, that God alone must utterly transform our hearts before we can, can begin to grasp the wonders of his love. In this passage, Jesus teaches us this truth in the context of the kingdom of God, The wonders of God's love are displayed through the kingdom of God. And so as we look through this text this morning and consider how God alone must utterly transform our hearts for life in the kingdom, we'll break it into three points. We'll talk first about the expectations of the kingdom and then the reality of the kingdom and finally the invitation to the kingdom. So our first point, the expectation of the kingdom. You know, when Nicodemus came to Jesus... He came with expectations, he came with assumptions, he came with uh, some preconceived notions of what might be going on, and some of those were based on some accurate knowledge. Uh, He knew about God and his plan, he had seen what Jesus was doing, but he also had some misunderstandings, and these misunderstandings come out as the conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus unfolds. We already start to see how surprising or perhaps confusing the start of the conversation was. Nicodemus coming to Jesus saying, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher. Come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus responds to this in the next verse, and it's not exactly what we expect. It sounds almost like a non sequitur. Why would Jesus answer this statement from Nicodemus with teaching about new birth in the kingdom? You know, Nicodemus was a leader of the Jews, a Pharisee, who was an elder in that community, And as a Pharisee, he had training and experience in uh, studying God and studying the Old Testament. He may have had uh, training in teaching and preaching, and he was there to guard the truths and practices of the Jewish faith. And so one commentator sort of helpfully describes what's going on here by saying that Nicodemus comes and wants to set up criteria by which to assess who Jesus is, and that Jesus rejects the priority of Nicodemus and radically questions his qualification for sorting out heavenly things. Jesus' response cuts to the heart of Nicodemus' assumptions and expectations with the truth of God. And it's clear throughout the book of John that Nicodemus wasn't against Jesus. You know, other Pharisees had come to Jesus to try to trap him or to try to catch him out at some inconsistency. But Nicodemus comes and he saw something about Jesus that made him want to dig deeper to get to know who Jesus was and what he was doing. He didn't come with an adversarial attitude but rather wanting to hear what this teacher had to say. And Jesus knew what was in Nicodemus' heart, and so in love he challenges him to see the fuller picture of God's purpose and plan. So Jesus' response here reveals one of those expectations that Nicodemus had. Nicodemus had this expectation of the kingdom. He expected the kingdom of God, that God would bring about a new kingdom, one of perfect peace and happiness. And this expectation wasn't wrong. You know, God had made that promise, and one of the commentators uh, tells us about this, that to a Jew with the background and convictions of Nicodemus, to see the kingdom of God was to participate in the kingdom at the end of the age, to experience eternal resurrection life. God's promise of a coming king and kingdom is clear throughout the Old Testament. From the covenant with David through the prophets, God promised to send a ruler and a kingdom to bring salvation and justice and righteousness for all people. And Nicodemus would have been holding on to those promises, promises like Zechariah 9, uh, chapter 9, verse 9, this prophet who was sent to encourage Israel after the exile. That prophecy was this, uh, Zechariah 9, verse 9, "'Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey!' on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Nicodemus had that expectation. He knew that prophecy. He was looking for this king to come. But he understood this as purely a future hope, as something that he would enjoy at the end of time, something that would come later. Nicodemus had a piece of the truth. He had that revelation from God, but he didn't fully understand it, made assumptions about it. And that's not too unfamiliar to us, is it? You know, we can make expectations and form assumptions based on what little truth we have. We do it all the time. You know, we, we know that the grocery store, for instance, has food, and so we go there expecting to be able to fill our grocery carts and provide food for the week. Same with the, the gas station. We go there expecting to be able to fill our cars with fuel and maybe grab a coffee or a snack. But as you may have noticed this past year, there, there are sometimes things that happen in the world that make those expectations and assumptions not turn out. Maybe in the past year you went to the grocery store and uh, they were out of stock on something that you really wanted to get that week. Or you drove up to the gas station and saw the prices and thought, maybe next week I'll stop by. You know, our expectations or assumptions are generally good, but we can sometimes be surprised by reality. And take a second to think about your expectations concerning faith. Think about your expectations maybe even in coming to church this morning. Now, this may not apply to everyone, but Maybe you can identify with some of this. You know, we come expecting to see people, maybe friends, maybe family, maybe our neighbors. We come expecting to sing songs, to hear the Bible read, to listen and join in with prayers. Maybe you come expecting a three-point sermon, and I'm not here to disappoint. You know, we come sometimes expecting to be told about sin, maybe feel bad about it. We come expecting to be told about forgiveness, And to be encouraged and, you know, try harder next week. Things will be better. Does that sound familiar? Now, some of these expectations are spot on, but one or two of them might present a bit of a problem. You know, feeling bad about sin, for instance, it doesn't really accomplish anything. Yes, we need to realize that we have a problem, that it's deeper than just external things happening to us, that we ourselves are separated from God, that sin separates us. Understanding that is necessary Feeling remorse for that is, is necessary. We need to see our sin. It produces feelings of shame and regret that should drive us to take action. And I find it easy to fool myself into thinking that experiencing those feelings, that being able to recognize that I've sinned and feel that remorse, is the same as dealing with it. But just feeling the weight of sin doesn't actually uh, take care of it. Hearing about forgiveness and resolving to do better in the week ahead sounds good. It sounds like something that I would want to do. It sounds like a way to deal with it. You know, I will hear either a new routine or spiritual exercise or discipline that can help make myself more holy. And it sounds like, yes, I can do that. I can pray more. I can read my Bible more. I can, you know, say this prayer or fast or do these other things. I can try as hard as I want to to not sin, but I'll never succeed. And I can easily fool myself into thinking that having just the right attitude and doing the right things is the goal. But that's a false expectation. Hearing the truth of God, that he forgives us and that he loves us, we need to hear that. But if we don't fully understand it, we can form misconceptions and wrong expectations that make us miss out on what God is actually calling us to. And so Jesus' words in verse 3 cut right to the heart. Jesus exposes the subtle problem with misunderstanding truth by confronting these wrong expectations, saying, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You know, both the false expectations of Nicodemus and the one I described earlier come from the same root. Part of these assumptions is that God's work is still to come and that my role now is to sort of help it along and make it happen. We still struggle with sin. The world is broken and hurting, so God must not have acted yet. The the kingdom isn't quite here. We need to help it come along. And we see that this is Nicodemus' assumption because of the way that he responds in verse 4. You know, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Nicodemus latches onto Jesus' statement about being born again and wonders how he himself, an older man, can do that. Uh, That's a trap we so often fall into, isn't it? Even though I know that being a Christian is all about the grace of God, it's a free gift, I tend to start to focus on the things that I should be doing. It's a lot more comfortable for me to have that sense of control that I can, you know, do these things, have a list of do's and don'ts that sort of govern my life. And yet Jesus is here disrupting that expectation with this strange call to be born again, so what does jesus mean by saying that we must be born again you know jesus here is explaining the truth the reality of what it means to enter the kingdom of god he gives us the reality of the kingdom here that it starts with new birth and so that brings us to our second point this morning the reality of the kingdom you know what is required for being part of the kingdom of god Well, Jesus is drawing out the point that the kingdom isn't just some future hope. It's not something off in the distance. We're not waiting or working towards some future action of God, but instead there's an action that has already happened. There's something that needs to happen now, and that's new birth. In the face of Nicodemus' expectation that God's promise was a distant future hope, Jesus says that the kingdom can only be seen by those who are born again now. Nicodemus understood this is what Jesus meant, and so he asked, you know, how can this happen to older people? How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus knew about the kingdom. He looked forward to the kingdom. It was a dear promise to him. But the idea of new birth seemed strange and impossible. And now again, for us today, this term, born again, is super familiar. We we sort of immediately recognize that. It's metaphorical language. And there is... Uh, some internal change that needs to take place, and that's what it's describing. So on the surface, we might read Nicodemus's questions here and they seem maybe a bit ridiculous. But in all reality, this was a new uh, expression for him, a new idea. He came with some pretty strong assumptions, and Jesus uses this turn of phrase to make him stop and think. What would that be for us today? As we think about the assumptions and expectations we come with, How should this statement of Jesus cause us to stop and think? What all is Jesus calling for in new birth? New birth is a transformation. It's not just trying harder uh, to get better slowly over time. New birth means being completely remade, fundamentally changed, and given a whole new identity. It's something that no one can do on their own. Think about being born. You cannot control that. we really think about it, it's something that can only happen uh, by an outward force working on us. It's not something that uh, we can get by learning more or being convinced by some argument. Being born again requires something greater than us working on us. Being born again is a radical new way of life that changes the core of who we are. There's nothing we can do to bring it about. God alone must bring this radical transformation. And that was one of the sticking points for Nicodemus' world view. And it might be a sticking point for us as well. You know, so often I know and say that, of course, it's all of God. that It's nothing that I can do. But then I go and I live as if I didn't believe that. I judge myself and others by how well we keep to some standard of holiness. And I want to relate to God on my own terms instead of his, based on my feelings or my work. But Jesus, here again, is pointing us to the uniqueness of God's work. God's truth, that being born again is the work of God in us, that we can't control it. He explains this even further in verses 5 to 8. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. This transforming work of God, this new birth, is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's an inward renewal of our life. It's completely the work of God. We cannot force this birth, just as we can't force or control the wind. And it's not based on achieving some level of holiness, or it's not withheld because we've fallen too far away. Instead, it's the Spirit of God going where he wills and bringing new life according to God's mercy, We can grow in our knowledge of God. We can learn and study his ways and his character. And we can work at growing our knowledge and holding on to our religion. But if God does not send his Holy Spirit to give us new birth, then all of our efforts will lead to nothing. When we study scripture, we see that God's desire is that all should come to know him, that the whole world will rejoice and praise his name. And we can make ourselves really busy about making that happen. But if God hasn't brought new life to us, then we won't be able to join in the rejoicing and praise of his name. The seeds of the kingdom, the starting point for this loving relationship with God, with us, comes from God giving new life, bringing us into his family through the Holy Spirit. It's deeply personal, it's relational, and it's all from God. And this is what I so often forget or fail to live out, really. You know, I think that's also what Nicodemus found hard. Because it is so easy to slip into moralism and works based righteousness, even though we have the head knowledge. Uh, we know better. And so, why is that? Why is it so difficult? Why is it hard to live in this relationship with God? It's hard partly because of our sin, it's also hard because we live in an in between time. New birth into the kingdom of God is a reality that starts now, and it finds its completion in the future. The kingdom of God has started. New birth is given to us now. The Spirit is calling us now, and it's calling us to this future hope that the kingdom will be made full, will be made complete. You may have heard of this referred to as the already but not yet, the fact that we are already saved but not yet glorified. We are already loved and called into the kingdom of God. We are already adopted, and we are growing as adopted children, looking forward to the day when we can live with that perfect uh, union with Christ, being made whole, being made complete. And Jesus' imagery of wind is really helpful here because you know experiencing uh, the work of the Spirit in our lives is so often like the way we experience wind. There are times when the wind can be really strong and nearly knock you off your feet, and there are other times when you're barely able to perceive that there is movement of air, that the wind is moving. But there is always some form of wind. And when we look forward to the day when we will enjoy the full benefits of this new life that God has given us, that we'll be aware of his spirit at work in our hearts. You know, I long for the day when I can have that perfect relationship with Jesus, freed from sin, freed from fear, freed from the temptation to compare myself to others, judging and being judged. And the truth is that perfect life has begun. I can start to live that out now. Yes, sin is a problem, and I won't have it perfectly, but the Holy Spirit is at work now, bringing that new life more and more into my day-to-day experience. Living out this new life, we become more aware of the spirit's calling, the more aware of the spirit's work. We become more aware of the movement of the wind. But how can this be? Nicodemus' question in verse 9, you know, might be ours as well. How can this be? This all sounds good, sounds like a solution, but how does it work? Jesus answers that with an invitation into the kingdom. Our third point today, the invitation to the kingdom. When Nicodemus asks, how can this be? You know, I think we see him reacting to this new worldview that Jesus has given him. He's come to this teacher, this miracle worker who he really respects and wants to learn from, and he's thinking that he'll be confirmed in what he's known and studied, and maybe learn maybe something a little bit new, but not radically different. And instead, he gets this new concept that seems to really disorient him, and it might be a bit disorienting to us as well. This promise of salvation, God's love and care, isn't something we control. You know, throughout the Old Testament, and for Nicodemus especially, it seemed like something that was coming for the nation of Israel, that just being a Jew was enough, and that as long as he didn't sin too grievously, of course he'd be in the kingdom of God. Jesus says, no, you have to be born again. And after hearing those words, it, it struck him that maybe he wasn't just about being a Jew. And when we hear that, you know, we might see, think it sounds a bit fatalistic or deterministic. We might start asking, what does it matter then? if entrance into the kingdom, being part of the saved community of God, is wholly the work of the Spirit, then what is up with the rest of the scriptures? You know, why are there all those laws? Why why do we see all this tradition? Does it really matter, then, what we do? Jesus replies, yes, yes, it does matter. Jesus tells us that our action is uh, to respond to this invitation through belief. That We're called to have this new life that the spirit works in us first and foremost so that we can respond in belief believing in the power and love of god his desire and willingness and ability to bring salvation believing in the salvation that he brings through jesus and that's the foundation the the action that reveals the new birth by the spirit is believing in jesus we see this in verses 11 to 15 I really love this illustration that Jesus uses here of the serpent in the wilderness. It's such a strange passage from Numbers, uh, Numbers 21. You know, in this chapter, Moses is leading the nation of Israel through the wilderness. And over the course of the book of Numbers, we we see uh, the children of Israel being led from slavery in Egypt towards the promised land. We see what their journey looked like. And really, they're in this in-between phase at that time, You know, they were already saved from slavery from their time in Egypt, but they were not yet in the promised land. They had experienced God's goodness, his call on their lives, his bringing them freedom in a powerful way, but they had yet to experience the fullness of his promise, their own kingdom, their own place to live. They were wandering through uh, the wilderness, and they didn't have a secure source of food or water, and yet God continued to provide for them, giving them bread and water, even meat to eat. But the people grew tired of waiting, and they became impatient, and they started to grumble against God, grumbling that it was always the same and that Egypt may have been better. And they complained about God, ignoring and even disdaining his miraculous provision and his promises. God had already done the work of saving the people, but they rebelled. And in Numbers 21, verse 6, we read what happened next. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And God's response to Moses was for him to make an image of a snake and put it on a pole in the camp so that everyone could see it. And that... It's not exactly what the people ask for. The people ask for the snakes to be taken away, but instead God gave this command for this, this image to be made and so that when the people were, who were bitten by the snakes looked at the pole, they would see it and be reminded of things. They'd be reminded of the suffering and pain that they currently felt. They'd see the snake and see the punishment due for their sin. But in seeing that and looking at the snake, God would heal them. They would be healed and recovered from their bites. In the midst of their rebellion, God showed his mercy. He made them see their sin, but he gave them hope. He gave them that continued promise of his love and of his forgiveness. And this story, it's just extraordinary. Imagine if something like that were happened today. And in many ways, this is sort of what we do today already. This is what we're called to do Today. Our source of life, the source of healing and restoration, is Jesus. And if we want healing, if we want life, if we want to be saved from our current sufferings, then we need to look to God alone. We believe not in some abstract blessing, but in the work of Jesus on the cross. Jesus was raised on the cross so that when we look to him, there on the cross, we see our sin, we see our guilt and shame, and we see it being dealt with for us. We see the punishment of God against sin, and we realize that we are forgiven completely. We look to Jesus, and we don't need to worry about trying harder next time. We don't need to worry about measuring up. We see God's mercy for us, that our salvation is fulfilled, fully realized. When we look to Jesus, the new birth given to us by the Spirit is affirmed. The Spirit helps us look to Jesus. Our invitation into the kingdom is the Spirit's working within us, helping us to turn to the cross to see Jesus. Friends, this is something that we need to be remembered, to be reminded of daily. Jesus' death once for all brings us salvation. The Spirit's work in us gives us new life and makes it possible for us to see Jesus. And as we live each day, we need to be reminded of that. We need the Spirit to keep working in us, to keep our eyes focused there on the cross, there on Jesus. Because life in the kingdom, it does mean listening to God, obeying his laws and his commands. But this obedience is only possible through the work of the Spirit, opening our eyes that we can see, giving us new birth, giving us the life of Christ. It's the Holy Spirit that utterly transforms our lives so that we can look to Jesus and see the wonders of God's love for us and enjoy his kingdom. And so how are you looking to Jesus this morning? How is the Spirit calling you and giving you new life today? You know, maybe you're here this morning in the midst of suffering. Maybe there's something big in your life or something small, something that causes you pain, a relationship that's broken, maybe poor health or stress or anxiety. Jesus invites you to look to him for healing, to look to him and believe. Look to Jesus for healing, for mending of those relationships, for answers to your fear. The Spirit is at work giving you a new life, a new life that starts now and will bring you into his perfect kingdom. You know, maybe you're here this morning feeling the weight of your sin. You know, is there a sin or a temptation in your life that keeps coming back that you've been fighting and struggling against but feel like you're losing? Look to Jesus. Look to him, to the new life that he gives through the Spirit. Let the Spirit be at work in your life, calling you to look to the cross, looking to Jesus who forgives and deals with our sin completely, and live by the Spirit, the new life that he freely gives. And ask him for help. Ask the Spirit to keep your eyes focused there on the cross. Ask him for rest in his leading, as he invites you in and trains you for life in the kingdom. We cannot make ourselves better. It's the Spirit who will bring this transva- transformation into our hearts. So let's, let's pray and let's look to the Spirit to do that for us today. Let's pray. Holy God, thank you that you give us new birth, that it's holy based on you, your, your kindness to us, your forgiveness. Thank you that we can look to the cross and see Jesus and believe in the redeeming work that he has done for us. Thank you that we can give you our guilt and shame, knowing that you have forgiven us and call us uh, your sons and daughters, loving us completely. Lord, as we look to the cross, we pray for your help each day to see how you are providing, how you are leading, and how you are calling us to live for you. We pray, Father, uh, all these things, asking them in the name of Jesus, who has conquered death for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.